What's going on people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. Today, it's a it's a Canis Hoopers party. I'm joined by two of the, the greats, two of Canis Hoopers, Canis Hoopers' finest. Um, first, it's contributor Jack Borman. What's going on, Jack? What up, man? And with me today as well is uh, Editor-in-Chief Kyle Tidy. What's going on, Ty- uh, Kyle? How's it going, dude? Yeah, very well. Um, you know, as well as, as I can be for someone who invests way too much time into Minnesota Timberwolves basketball. <laughs> um, and obviously, at the moment, it's pretty glum. And I think that's kind of going to be the the theme of the show is that we're just going to see kind of dig into what's gone wrong this season. And, and so far, it has been a pretty bad one. Obviously, we're coming off the back of the the horrible loss to Memphis where they gave away a 10-point lead in the in the fourth quarter and then the the really, truly horrible news about Carthony Towns contracting COVID. And then just, you know, the, the game's been postponed from, from this weekend, the second Memphis game, and there's you know, Juancho and Gomez and Ricky Rubio both isolated as well. And, and who knows... What else is going to go on with with coronavirus and, and kind of it ravaging through the team? But um, I think I want to just I want to start with with Carlton Towns and, and I guess that's that's the the prevailing point here on what has gone wrong for the season and that's that Towns has missed seven games with the wrist injury. Now that horrible news about the the COVID positive test will probably keeping out him out another five games at least. I'd say. Um, so I guess I'll throw it to, to you first, Kyle. Um, you know, what, what do you make of this whole town situation and what, what do you think the impact of it has had on this, on this season and on this team? <sighs> so where do we start? Um, <laughs> let, let's start here. And I think I'll, I speak for the three of us, but this is also kind of common sense, but let's talk about basketball, right? Yeah. Like this is a, this is going to be a basketball podcast. Um, Obviously, thoughts and all positive vibes go out to Carl, uh, what he has to go through again, what anyone's going through right now with COVID. Um, but yeah, that, that that's clearly, like I said, uh, if, you, if you listen to Gerson Rosas' press conference yesterday when the game got postponed, it kind of seemed like he was the most defeated. I think I've ever heard that man. I, I kind of thought it looked like he was going to cry for a hot second. Um, this isn't part of the plan. <laughs> You don't plan for the wrist injury. You don't plan for your franchise player to get COVID. So I think for them, like I said, this this team can only go as far as Carl can take them. And you can talk about how other teams have been feisty with their, like, you know, the, the Memphis Grizzlies have been putting up fights without Morant and Jaron Jackson on the court. Uh, I'm sure Jack can list off a hundred other teams that have played well without their best guy. That's not what Minnesota is at right now, though. They don't have enough talent. They just, they don't have enough cohesion to do that. So, uh Towns is going to be out two weeks. I th- I think he'll come back. This is a whole other topic I could throw to Jack, but like I, I I wouldn't be mad if that dude was just like I don't want to play basketball this year anymore. Like I get right. It. right. Um, but I, I think he'll come back. Uh, and yesterday we're recording this on a Saturday in the states. Uh, Friday sucked. Friday zapped all the optimism out of me for a day because it it just it was just one thing after another, and we just got Carl back. He looked phenomenal with one arm. And he's going to be out two weeks. And the, the positive spin on it is that it should be more time for the young guys, more time for Ryan to experiment. And in a sneaky way, I'm really happy for Carl to just be able to rest that wrist. Because, Jack, I know you were at a game, and I, I kind of wanted your thoughts on it. But 
uh, I, that wrist was just not right. There were so many times where he would get fouled or do something. He would be grabbing on it. And if no, no better thing than just maybe he gets a couple more weeks to just rest it because I don't want that dude to have prolonged wrist issues or break it or something. So that's like the positive spin is that maybe Carl can just rest. Um, but this team is going to be bad for the next two weeks. So we got to try to find ways to put a spin on more playing time for, for Vanderbilt and Nas Reed and maybe Anthony Edwards. So, but, but Jack, you, you went to a game recently. Like, was that the game that Carl played, right? Yeah. So I went to the first of the two games against the Spurs. Um, the, the first game that, that Carl was back for. Um, and it was interesting because in pregame warmups, he didn't use his left hand really at all. I mean, he, he made a couple of two-handed catches with balls, um, but you could tell that he was pretty much just catching the ball with his right hand and then um, and then letting it fly. Obviously, he still had his left hand as a guide hand, but, but obviously wasn't really putting any pressure on it. Um, and, and you could probably count on your hand how many times he dribbled with his, dribbled with his left hand during that game. Um, and it just seemed like an injury where, you know, if he could tolerate the pain, uh, then he could play through it. And I think with him, he's so dominant that he didn't even need to use his left hand to, to pump out. I think he had, you know, what did he have, like 25 points or something in that game or, or 23 points or something in that game um, and still just did it so effortlessly. I mean, defenders had to have known that he wasn't going to use his left hand. He wasn't going to go left. They posted him up on the right block so he could get to the middle of the lane and go up with his right over and over and over again. And, um, you know, it was just, it was really incredible to watch. And then, you know, as the second half went on, you could tell that he kind of started to get a little bit more confidence in it and that um, he was grabbing rebounds with two hands. I think he had a couple blocks with his left hand, which was encouraging to see. Uh, Then there was one play, I don't know really on TV if they picked it up or not, but he was driving and LaMarcus Aldridge just hacked the shit out of his left hand (laughs) or his wrist. And he was kind of sitting down at the bottom of the stanchion, um, just grimacing in pain for about 15 seconds before he got up to shoot his free throws. And then for probably the next five minutes or so of real time, of real lifetime, you know, he just like was trying to laugh and smile it off. But you could tell that that dude was fighting through a world of pain just to be able to play. And, um, and, you know, you know, like you said, Kyle, I mean, hopefully that that thing will be able to, you know, be more healed. Uh, he said that he said in a post game zoom afterwards that he came back as fast as he possibly could. And that, um, he probably was going to be out six to eight weeks, um, but was back in two, uh, which is pretty incredible. So, so hopefully that, that two weeks will, will obviously help him heal the wrist, but also hopefully there's, there's no other lingering, lingering issues that come about from, from him uh, battling the coronavirus. Do you think that the, the wrist injury, and obviously, like you said, not, not wanting to catch the ball and maybe not wanting to, to shoot jumpers as much and kind of just get as close to the ring as possible to be able to use his right hand is the reason that he shot three threes in that Spurs game and then four threes against Memphis because for the season he hasn't shot more than five threes at all he shot five threes in that second game against Utah and I just feel like for for, for a player that we obviously know can shoot the hell out of it and for someone who we'd hyped up as a guy who's going to shoot 40% on eight threes a game it, it kind of seems weird that he's entered the season and and now obviously the injury is playing a part maybe but 
he just doesn't seem to be shooting threes and the offense doesn't seem to be running threes, you know, running plays for him to shoot threes. Yeah, I think that that was part of it. Um, to, but uh, but at the same time, I mean, when he wanted to shoot, he let it fly without any hesitation. Um, and I think what I noticed and that it was really a lot easier to see it when you're in the arena, just how uh, more well spaced out the floor was just by him merely being out there. Yeah. Um, and, not and, and he's been very unselfish. He's been so unselfish yeah, and, and with his I passing. Think, and, and I think because he's now got more help around him, uh, I think he's made a point to try and uh, really try and help get other guys going. And he understands um, both his scoring and shooting gravity. And he's become a much, much better passer in recent years as, as, a, as a part of that. Um, but, but yeah, the floor was just so spaced out, especially in that first quarter against San Antonio when the Wolves just were going crazy. Um, it, it opened up driving lanes for Malik Beasley and Jarrett Culver, too, especially, I think, is a much more effective player playing with Towns just because his drive and kick game uh, is is a lot more effective, obviously, with, with nobody home in the paint. And then even D'Angelo Russell started driving to the rim more, yeah. uh, which was encouraging to see, too. So I think it was yeah, just thanks a to Yeah, uh, thanks to Jake. Jake inspired that. <laughs> Jake wrote about yeah. it, and then all of a sudden he just was like becomes the James Harden of getting to the free throw line. <laughs> yeah, and so that that effect that that Carl has just just by being out there is so real, and I think that that's why it's so huge for him to be out there, even if his wrist isn't one hundred percent. And yeah, and I well, also and I, I was just gonna say I also think too, it's crazy because what did we talk about for eight months during the pandemic? We talked about Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell played one game together, and now we're like a quarter of the way through the season almost. And they, they've only played four games together, I think. Yeah. So I think yeah. some of that whole not taking a lot of threes stuff is simply, I mean, every time this guy tries to acclimate himself back into the offense, he fractures his wrist. He gets coronavirus. Like, I think he's still trying. I mean, he he just doesn't still, I don't think he really knows his teammates much because half the guys out there are new to him. So I don't think, I don't think it's concerning long run. I just think that guy, again, this season is like, what, they're three and eight? I mean, this, it feels like we've been – we're 65 games into a season. Like that's how stressed and emotional all of us have become is because three weeks have felt like four years. So, Yeah, uh, I think to your point well, – to both points, I think that how much better he makes these teammates and how you know astounding it is that he's made them so much better without really knowing him. Uh, I've got these numbers in front of me. Obviously, two-man you know, net rating lineups aren't a perfect science, but – I, I found these so interesting just because, in general, Minnesota's two-man lineups, five-man lineups, whatever lineups have been terrible, horrible, no matter who is in them, um, their minuses and, and sometimes huge minuses unless they're the, you know, Vanderbilt, McDaniels minutes or whatever that are coming in a, in a 35-point blowout. But these are kind of Danny Towns' top, uh, top six or seven here. Um, so he's a plus 14.4 in 47 minutes with Jarrett Culver. He's a plus 12.5 in 48 minutes with Anthony Edwards, a plus 11.6 with Malik Beasley in 108 minutes, plus 10.7 with Ricky Rubio in 73 minutes, plus 7.1 with Josh Okoge in 77 minutes, and plus 0.8 with Russell in 90 minutes. Like, that's bizarrely good for a team that's 3-8 and eight and who that have constantly been blown out that pretty much every main roster you know, core roster guy is a huge plus next to Towns on the floor. And I think to me, that was the kind of the numbers that I came across that just made me 
stop for a second. Obviously, I know how good Towns is and we all know how good Towns is, but that made me really take a step back and be like, shit, like, this team can actually win games when he's out there and they just... The, the difference between, you know, those partnerships with Nas Reed or those partnerships with Ed Davis, and, and that's not a knock on those guys, really. It's just that Towns is uplifting everyone this season, and that's because he's playing good defense and he's obviously still an offensive superstar. And it's just it's just so hard to to watch, you know, this team without Cat and, and then while still knowing how good they can be with Cat or at least how competitive they can be with Cat because right now, Missing 15 of the first 20 games is just seems like it's going to be impossible for the team to recover from. And and that's and that's a good bookmark right there, right? Because the whole reason you have me on is because I'm caffeinated and because I'm optimistic. But like, <laughs> if anything, and again, Jack's been to games. You both have sat in on press conference or your know, media availability after. I, great stats that you provided. My basic stat is that Carlton Towns is so goddamn good at basketball. Like that's what I take away from you reading those stats. He uplifts everyone, and he's a different human being than he was six months ago because of what he's gone through six years ago. Um, my biggest takeaway, while all those numbers are great, and I know Jack will back me up on this, listening to what Carl says is like, to me, if you're, if you're like clinging to, okay, oh my God, we're going to be two more weeks without him. Nasri is going to be getting just crushed on pick and roll. Like, what you know what I mean? It's going to get bad. It's going to get darker before it gets lighter. But I think Carl Anthony Towns is just a completely changed human being. And when he came out that night and had that passionate press conference about we need, if we're up 20, we need to go to 30. We're up 30, we need to go to 40. That, that mentality wasn't here before. He, he is hardened. He is, as he said, not me, soulless. He seems more like an assassin. And if they can just get him healthy and get through this COVID thing, which is very serious, but get him through it, I think he has the leadership skills now to like you said it doesn't matter who's on the court with him if you me jack mike and carl were on the court we'd all be plus because that guy would somehow <laughs> make us all better at basketball that's so i just I, think if you that's because i can bang corner threes but you've got a, you've uh, got to rating my corner three ability a paint points podcast where like we get five canis writers on here and we just talk about our <laughs> skills on the court would be great because i need to know what jack's good at but that's my take i mean jack jack's luckily been able to go to some games now and be on a lot of media stuff but like don't you feel the same way? We all followed him, Jack, but like he's not the same guy. He has that killer's mentality that he was supposed to be out for eight weeks with a fractured wrist and he was out 11 days. Like this guy is the guy you want now to cheer for. You want to build this thing around and you just got to get through this two more weeks of darkness. Yeah, I, I definitely think that Carl's a different dude. Um, and, and the other thing too that I think is really important is that Carl's not bitching at refs a lot. A huge. Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't bitching at refs, you know, during live action. He wasn't bitching at refs after, you know, if he fouled, he would ask the ref a question of saying like, you could tell it was more of a, Hey, what did I do wrong? And how can I fix it type of thing? Um, and he said too, he said that he was very meticulous, um, this, this off season about, you know, finding exactly what it is he needs to do to help this team get better. And he said that he worked really hard with Ryan and DV, um, to, to really try and improve his defense. And he's come out and he's done that. Uh, and, and between the leader that we're getting in Carl and, and just the, the defensive stalwart that we're getting, in addition to the most talented big man to ever play basketball, um, at least offensively, um, you know, <laughs> the, guy, the guy's a crazy good basketball player. Um, and just to circle back to some of the numbers that you threw out, Jake, is that 
Um, something that, that I think is really important is that those top two guys are two guys that have not been good whatsoever without him and have been a big reason why the Wolves haven't been as good. Um, and so hopefully when Carl comes back and those two can play with him more, um, you can see some of that confidence from Jarrett Culver and Anthony Edwards come back because those two were awesome in the first two games of the season. Uh, playing with Cat and Culver again was very good in the Spurs game. I think the first Spurs game he might have gone like oh for whatever, but um, there's just a different pep in his step when he's playing with when he's playing with Cat. Um, I also think that having Cat in there too simplifies Culver's role defensively and kind of takes a little bit of weight off of his shoulders. Um, and again, it just all comes back to, to confidence for some of these role guys for the Wolves. And um, you know, it's interesting that the Wolves have a coach who. Seems to be very optimistic, very player first, um, very let's pump my guys up and, and tell them I believe in him. Um, but a lot of them have confidence issues, and that seems to be a red flag for me. Um, not necessarily about just the players themselves, but also about the coaches and the positions that the coaches are putting them in, even without Carl Anthony Towns. Because, like Kyle said, there's all these teams, there's Memphis. There's Boston, there's Washington, teams that have Orlando that have lost all these guys from COVID or injuries or whatever. The Chicago that that are lacing them up every night, going out there and fighting their ass off and keeping the game competitive. And sure, the Wolves played the Clippers and the Lakers. Yeah, whatever. But you got blown out by 30 points to the Wizards on a second night of a back-to-back when you were sitting your ass at home the night before. So, I mean, it's just... It's it's things like that that I think about, and and hopefully we'll see we'll see kind of a, a better Culver and, and Anthony Edwards once once Cat returns. I'm hi, I'm well, hijack I'm I'm gonna hijack this. I want to ask Jake's opinion because I know Jack's <laughs> opinion, and I did talk him off the ledge. But you brought it up, Jack. So faults on you. Let's just pivot quickly into thoughts on Ryan because yeah, I, I want I I definitely you know wasn't gonna go this podcast without going through the, the Saunders stuff because obviously it's pretty prevalent at the moment i think i was harsh on saunders last year and i thought during the off season maybe i was a little too harsh and and even now i find myself at times just feeling sorry for him because like the cards he's been dealt have been outrageously bad like every time towns comes back something goes wrong and, and roster turnover all those excuses that we've heard a million times but on the other hand, every time the stars seem to align for, for Ryan to make the, the best out of a bad situation, and, and the Grizzlies game that, that just went past was certainly one of those moments, he, he seems to fall flat on his face. And if if I want to go on a, a mini rant here, I, I hate the offense, man. I hate it. Like, I hate the defense too, but that's more on personnel, I think, than it is on scheme. And, and obviously, Pablo Prigioni is just as much to blame, I think, for the offensive scheme, but... To me, the offense is bland. It's it's boring. It's varsity level shit. Like that doesn't that doesn't mean that they don't occasionally run a nice action for Malik Beasley or a nice action for Cat. But in the aggregate, I just don't think it's good enough. They have way too many weapons to run fifteen seconds of weave action into a stagnant pick and roll where they stick Anthony Edwards at the top of the key and and don't run anything to get him downhill. They they stick. Ricky Rubio on handoff actions and don't let him work off ball screens with with rim runners like he's shown he's so good at for his whole career. Um, I just yeah I, I don't know to me the the inability to stream around their weapons 
is why Russell and Ruby haven't haven't worked together. It's it's why Towns is only shooting those four threes per game that I mentioned. It's why Jarrett Vanderbilt isn't rim running like a bat out of hell the entire time he's out there alongside Russell or Rubio. I just don't like it, boys. I, I think it's a cop out. I think that it's a it's they they think they can skate by on basic offense because they have talented players, and that's just. That's, I don't think that's how it works because you can get out schemes no matter how talented your offensive you know lineup is, uh, and we've seen that multiple times this season. I think they've had more talent. They had more talent than the Wizards that game. They have just as much offensive talent as you know the Blazers, or, or just slightly less, not thirty-five points less. So they have just more offensive talent clearly than the Grizzlies a few nights ago. Like. I don't know. I, I I can't be. I don't think I can be talked off the ledge when it comes to the offense. Maybe with other stuff like maybe one of you, Jack. Like, can you convince me that the rotations and the and the in game management aren't just as bad as as what I think the the offensive steam is? Or are you <laughs> you're shaking your head at me? So th- this might not be going well. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do anything to convince you that it's not terrible because <laughs> it's terrible. Um, you know, I've. I have tried to give Ryan the benefit of the doubt in my mind, online, on podcasts, uh, and and I'm just I'm out of leash to give, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I think Ryan is a phenomenal leader, and I think his presence is is crucial for um, just the well being of guys like Ricky Rubio and Cat and Anthony Edwards. And I think as people, that's really really important uh, to their development as players. But but like you're saying, Jake. Um, the Wolves just have way too many weapons offensively for the, for something to be this rudimentary. And especially with someone like Anthony Edwards, I know I've, I've talked to Kyle about it a bunch that um, Anthony Edwards is so goddamn good when he goes downhill and he can use his size and athleticism and aggressiveness um, to just bully anybody that's his size or smaller or even guys that are bigger than him. He can get right by him. Um, and the Wolves just leave him on an island half the time that he's out there. And people want to blame Anthony Edwards for not being, you know, the next coming of Jesus Christ or LeBron James because he's the number one pick. And it's not necessarily his fault. Um, Are there possessions where he takes dumb shots or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's going to take dumb shots every now and again. But at the same time, like, kid's 19 years old. He didn't really have a preseason. He didn't have a training camp. You've got to put him in positions to be successful. And the coaching staff just doesn't seem interested in it. And the other thing that I'll, that I'll point out with rotations is that Saunders has been pretty terrible at knowing when to call a Mo Killer timeout, at knowing when to ride a hot hand. For instance, if if Cat's cooking, you don't sub Cat out for Nas Reed. You keep riding Cat until he cools off and then or needs a breather, and then you take him out. So like in the Memphis game on Wednesday, D'Angelo Russell was absolutely torturing Dylan Brooks in a dark room in a foreign country uh, <laughs> with no supervision in, in isolation. And I think he scored three or four possessions in a row. And just as he's really starting to heat up, Ryan then pulls him and puts Ricky Rubio in the game. Ricky takes two dumb shots that lead to, you know, buckets on the other end for Memphis. And, and now you've, you, you had a bunch of momentum. You just lost it. And now Memphis is starting to run. And, it's stuff that's like all that. It takes. That's all it takes sometimes. Like, the NBA teams are good. Like, you can't give them a sniff. You can't 
you can't give Memphis a four-point lead, you know, in a game that it should be 15 because they're not, even without Jar and even without Jaron Jackson, like the teams are NBA teams and they can hit shots and they can punish you if they if they smell blood in the water. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at there. As the elder statesman here, one of the things, and I've been trying to say this more, and I think I actually get it from like Jack, but one of the coolest things if you're trying to become like a writer or like cover a team and stuff and I'm going to make a point on this is to go back and rewatch games because I watched that Grizzlies game again and I actually put up a, a clip on my bad Twitter account. But um, Anthony Edwards had this play where he he drives and it's reminiscent of a Wiggins play, which is like they're like mirror images. But we, uh, Ant drives to the rim, gets caught up in the air and kicks one out to Rubio. Rubio just clanks the three. If Rubio hits that three, the whole tide is different. It was a nine point lead with like a minute and a half left in the third. And that's when Memphis starts to kind of get this momentum. And Russell hits that three. Yeah, just those small. Yeah, exactly. That's my point to you and Jack is that if Russell's still in there, he hits that three. And it's just, it went from a nine point game, Rubio misses it, and then it goes back, and I think it gets cut to seven. It's like if he hits that three, it's 12. And and so I just want to say this on the Ryan thing, because Jack has made really great points on this, but I think Ryan's seat was heating up this last week. Um, I think Ryan's job has never been safer now, ironically, than it is today. Because, because, because town, I don't town stuff. Because, because I don't think I, and again, I and this is where it's tough, Jack and, and Jake, because anyone who's listening, like we, we get to sit on these media calls, and it is tough because I think Ryan Saunders is a grade A human being. Um and you start to get connected Absolutely. to these guys when you listen to them. So it is tough when you it's always weird, right? Like when you cheer for sports it's cool to be like i want that guy fired i want that guy traded then you like he calls you by name once and he says hey kyle and you're like oh shit okay like this guy's a good dude who's got another kid coming um and i don't know because and I, I feel I'm, bad about it but like no and i'm with you i'm with you on that yeah i know and I, I there's nothing wrong with your take it's just it's weird too because again like i go back to this hand that he's dealt his offense is basic and i'm the least knowledgeable basketball person here but it, i can tell like these are really this is like LA fitness type shit on a Sunday morning. Like we basic sets, but again, though, when has that guy had 10 straight days to run practices with his team? Like he takes yeah. over for Tibbs in a weird interim year. And then his whole roster goes to the Bahamas. And then they go to different airports. Cause they're all traded. And then Carl's done for the season last year. Now. So it's weird, but back to my main point is that I think now with Carl out for two weeks and how much Carl defended Ryan in some post game press conferences, right? Whether you like him or not, Ryan's not going anywhere. Because you can't bring David yeah. Vanterpool oh, yeah. into this and then watch them go 2-11 and 11 because then you've lost David Vanterpool too. So you're, if you like him or not, Ryan's the coach now because you just got he's got to experiment. He's got to feel some pressure. He's got to get Ant more opportunities. He's got to get JV more opportunities. But the Carl thing is a blessing in disguise for him because you can't fire your coach now. You can't bring in another coach to a mess of a roster that half has COVID and be like, okay – Let's get that moment. Let's get that boost. Let's get that injection. So I think Ryan's safe, but I also think too that, and we'll talk about this, but they need to show like real concrete little things. Like Ryan needs to find his next Luol Dang because at some point someone's going to have to fall on the sword and it's not going to be Gers because Gers has more power and it might be Ryan because it's not going to be any of the players. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's the, I think that's a brilliant point that you make about, um, his job security. It's without town. There's just, I don't think 
I've always been of the opinion is that they're not going to fire him this season, no matter what. Uh, I think it would have to get really bad. And honestly, like, you know, the way it's going, it could have got really bad, but like, you know, 20 and 50 kind of bad. But without Saunders, uh, sorry, without Towns, it just, it's too easy to, to give him an excuse. And I completely agree. I think that it's a logical excuse. Like, I don't expect him to win games without Towns. And I think that, like you said, in some ways, Towns' injuries and, and and the COVID is a blessing in disguise with Ryan because it, it either goes one of two ways, is that he Towns plays for 20 games and they're shit anyway and, you know, Ryan probably does get fired there or Towns plays for all these 20 games or 50 games and they're actually 8th or ninth or 10th and all of a sudden we're like, all right, maybe Ryan Saunders isn't that bad of a coach. So... When with Towns out, he, there's just none of that. There's no, there's you can't make a you know sweeping declaration about the team because they're just they're missing the the glue that holds it all together. Jack, who's a better coach, Billy Donovan or Ryan Saunders? Billy Donovan, not even close, in my opinion. <laughs> and I, I'm just saying that because if you're listening, this is one of the things I will stress home to this goddamn fan base before I retire, is that. The problems we face, the problems we podcast about and write about, get experienced by 20, well, not the Lakers because they're awesome, 28 other teams. And the reason I asked the Billy Donovan thing, he is now coaching the Bulls, who blew a 20-point lead last night with four minutes left. So oh, yeah, all they want they yeah, that was the last leg of a huge parlay that I had, so you can imagine how I was feeling. They're up 10 with a minute 38 right. seconds left. <laughs> but, but, but do you guys see my point, though, and it's like, I'm with you on all of the criticisms of Ryan, and the Grizzlies game, I think, through my small brain, was directly on him for his rotations. But that, was his saying, worst, that was his worst night as a coach, right. I think. But what I am saying is, is that, and we get caught up in this, is like we get caught up in this with roster situations or what draft pick we don't have or history – if you just pull yourselves out of the Timberwolves thing for one week and you go look around the league, all these other teams have issues. The Bulls just blew a historic lead and they have a coach that I think is better than Ryan and their coach couldn't get through to his players. You know, all these other teams have these issues. So that's only my, I'm not defending Ryan. I'm just saying that like, sometimes we get so stuck in the Wolves, woe is us, but it's like, dude, all these other teams have the same shit going on. Yeah. I think the one thing that I wanted to say is and it's kind of a you know taboo uh, topic of conversation is that at some point some of this has to fall on Rosas as well and a lot of the things that Ryan is struggling with is a result of, of Rosas and his team building like I'm sure that Ryan Saunders didn't go into the draft and the free agency period and say please just don't get me a power forward I hate power forwards like I'm sure, you know, in their conversation, he would have said, I need a power forward who can defend and who can, you know, be a weak side shot blocker next to Towns because that's what I'm seeing out there every night. And I'm not absolving any blame from Saunders because, as you know, I'm happy to to push blame on him when I think it's opportune and when I think it's it's right to do. But at the, you know, I'll I'll pivot this conversation into the the Hernan Gomez debacle and, and shit show is that, like that that starts on Rosas and that's his biggest mistake I think thus far the the, the signing of of Rosas I know me and Jack had spoke before free agency and said that we just wouldn't have Wancho back at all and we wouldn't have him back certainly as a starting four and we wouldn't have him back in our wildest dreams at 21 million dollars um 
So I think that's that was Rosa's biggest mistake. And then the cold shoulder that they paid to the position during the draft and then cutting Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who's become like folklore in, in, in Minnesota Timberwolves sports. But I just think that that's that that's one of the main things that and, and I think Ryan's handled the situation pretty poorly because obviously Vanderbilt probably should be playing more minutes and Wancho shouldn't have played 30 minutes against the Grizzlies but uh, Rosas has to take some and I have always been a Rosas supporter so I say this with a heavy heart but I think he has to take a lot of the blame there and he's really put Ryan Saunders in a bind in that powerful position because like at some point no matter what Saunders does with that powerful position, whether it's you play Vanderbilt 35 minutes and he all of a sudden he's a little bit overstretched and overworked and, and doesn't look as good as he does in 15, or you play Wancho 30 minutes and he's just an awful basketball player, or you play, you know, Josh Cody 35 minutes at the four and then he's, you know, over like outmatched size-wise and he's not there to be a point-of-attack defender anymore. I just think that it's... It's a tough situation, the power forward position that he's been put in. I don't think he's handled it very well, but I think that I kind of, I, I almost blame Rosas more than that. Does, does anyone disagree with me or, or agree with me on that? Like what what kind of, what amount of blame do you, do you guys think that Rosas needs to, to shoulder for all, you know, for this season? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Rosas isn't going to take blame for anything. Oh, um, he's not going to take the blame, but how much do you... To, do you, you know, contri- attribute to him? So I think that, one, we have to acknowledge, too, that, that Rosas seems like somebody who's very filled with pride and and is very, very confident in, in his own abilities and his decisions. Um, and I'm sure that he, he him signing Wancho to that contract um also came with a mandate to Ryan of saying, hey, Wancho has to play X amount of minutes to start out or, you know, keep keep giving Wancho shots or whatever or chances or whatever. Um, but my problem lies in when you're in a game and Wancho's already played 25 minutes or 27 minutes or whatever, and he's actively hurting your team's chances of losing or ch- your chances of winning, and you have Jared Vanderbilt or Josh Kogier, there's other adjustments that you can make um, just within the flow of a game, you know, that's that's a, that's a on the coach. And the other thing, too, is that if your coach doesn't have the leash or the free reign to say, you want to know what? This guy's been terrible tonight, and I'm doing something else. Then chances are maybe that person shouldn't be the coach. Because if you don't, if you don't have the trust of your, of your front office – to just coach the team how you think you can do in your best job, um, I, I think that's a big problem. And and if that's and, and if that's something that the Rosas is mandated, then obviously we can't blame Saunders for that whatsoever. But that's something that, that we don't know about for sure. And I think it's convenient and it's easier to blame Saunders when obviously we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Um, but I'll say this is that. The Timberwolves have not signed Ronda Hells Jefferson because they are trying to trade for PJ Tucker. And until there is a resolution on the PJ Tucker front, I highly, highly, highly doubt that the Wolves will re-sign Ronda Hells Jefferson or sign anybody to any type of contract unless, you know, an emergency third two-way spot gets signed where a guy can, you know, play fifty out of the remaining 
60 games or whatever it is. Can, can I hijack this? Yeah. I, yeah. I want to just go – I want to quick go into a quick Rosas, like, just temperature check. Because I'm, I'm with you on a lot of those things. And Jack's been on leading the forefront of this P.J. Tucker thing. Um, and as long as it doesn't involve Jade McDaniels, I'm fine. Because, Jack, yes or no, <laughs> would you trade Jade McDaniels for P.J. Tucker? No. Okay, right thank now. you. I love you. Um, Two, three weeks ago, I would have said yes. So here, so I'm not going to defend Rosas because, again, he created the roster. You know what I mean? Like, some of this is on him. And he was just... given he was given the worst roster imaginable. Like, I think that's a caveat that we have to make, is that he's it, done pretty well, but there's still... He's not. You can't absolve him completely of blame. That's my point, right? And 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 again, as the caffeine runs through my veins, I just want like I I don't want to be called an apologist anymore because that would make me sound like I don't want my favorite team to fucking win a game every once in a while. And like, guess what? Spoiler alert! Like I do, but I think I think it's intriguing to just look back just a little bit because I disagree with Jack, but I also firmly agree with Jack. Is that two years ago when Rosa the first summer Rosas had, he wanted to sign a point guard. Um, and when the Russell thing didn't fall or, you know, go through, like when you're looking at the free agency list, you kind of start to do the dominoes. Um, there was interest in Rubio and Rubio has said on the record, like it wasn't right, my right time. And my point of this rant is that there was like seven point guards that played shuffle and moved over these teams and Darren Collison retired and it threw a wrench into everything because people thought he would go here, he would go here and that the Wolves would get a good point guard and it didn't work. And I bring that now to this off season. I think everyone thought Jeremy Grant would re-sign in Denver, which meant Paul Millsap would be probably gone, or at least Jermichael Green would be a free agent, had really good talks with Minnesota, as did Derek Jones. There's that whole article about how the Wolves wowed Derek Jones in that free agency pitch. Now, again, facts are the Wolves didn't get any of those guys. But I do think the Wolves, and this is where I guess I'd push back on Jack, but he brings up like such a good galaxy brain point that I might just be wrong. I don't think the Wolves are as attached to Wancho as we think. I think they were like, go find a contract. I don't think they were that smitten to bring him back. I think they tried four or five different power forwards, and because they're the Wolves and you have to overpay, it just didn't work. And then Wancho couldn't find anything, which I understand why. So then they brought him back. So I, I don't know. And so to Jack's point, though, like, yeah, if if Gers is texting Ryan, you got to play him 28 to 32 minutes, then that's on Gers. But we just kind of ranted about Ryan's lack of, you know, experience. And if Ryan's just effing this up and playing Wancho too much, maybe that's not on Gers. So I don't know. I don't have a take on that. I'm just saying, like, well, that's that's the thing is that none of us have to consider. Right. Right. None of us know. None of us know what you know. Who's pushing and who's shoving here? Like, is it Ryan? Is it Ryan? Just completely being, you know, inept in and and the Josh Okogie thing sucked. That injury came at the worst time to pair with Carl because then Wancho had to get force fed starring role opportunities. Like he had to be able to play. Um, And now it's gonna be interesting because Wancho is gonna be gone for ten days because of the protocol stuff. And if Jared Vanderbilt doesn't play thirty minutes a night minimum. I mean, they only have like eight guys, but if he doesn't play 30 nights, minutes a night, then that's directly back on Ryan because I don't know what Rosas can do in that situation. But I just kind of wanted a general temp check because not to pivot again, but like this was the week of the heist article that we all had a great time with where it was the, the Golden State Warriors had this heist. And I've been thinking about it nonstop because I'm a degenerate and I need counseling. But like <laughs> – I would just like your general opinion on right now. We're all, like, I think we're like twenty months into Gerson Rosas running the Timberwolves, and I think he is prideful, Jack. 
I think he is has an ego. I think he's also super strategic with everything he says and does. And I think some of these roadblocks, Carl's injury, you know, the pandemic, Carl getting COVID have thrown a wrench into him. Um, but I'm still a believer, I guess is my my question too. Like I still believe in him because I think even though he will never win the Andrew Wiggins trade, but I still like defend it. Like I still I still it believe it was it was, it was it was necessary to do and the pick sucks and now it kind of extra sucks. But like I just believe everything else he's done. Like, yeah, the Wancho signing sucks, but I don't want to spend 20 minutes on this. But dude, just quickly, like NBA star Malik Beasley has been the best shooting guard this team has had since like Latrell Sprewell. Like he's awesome. Like what a find by that guy to get a guy off a bench that no one's playing. And he's like the third fully best player on this team and he might be the second most nights. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just I, I, I want to jump in there and I guess ask another question. Just a random one on that Wiggins trade, which I'm, I'm the same as you, Kyle. I, I completely understand why it's looked upon, you know, depending what circle you're in as a bad trade or a good trade or, you know, just borderline, you know, mediocre trade, whatever. Like, would you, both of you guys, would you rather, because you were giving up a first round pick to get off Andrew Wiggins. I don't think that any, anyone here is going to debate that. Like, Andrew Wiggins' value was at an all-time low. He's on, he's getting paid $30 million a year. He had sucked for three straight years in Minnesota the one chance he got to be on a good team and play with two other stars in the Butler year, he sucked in that year as well. Um, would you have rather give up, say, two lottery-protected, you know, first-round picks or, or top-ten protected first-round picks uh, to get rid of him, or would you rather give up what they what they did and, and the top-three protected pick and you get back D'Angelo Russell as well? Like, would you rather give up more picks and, and not take on that match contract? Like, obviously, you would have to take back salary, but, like, would you rather give up the high pick or multiple picks that maybe fall, you know, a, a, a little bit lower in their protections? Um, I would have rather done what the Wolves did, um, and that's just because as the as the draft continues to expand, uh, you know, players are only going to get more and more talented, and uh, first-round picks are only going to get more and more valuable. And um, you also throw in the fact that the Wolves wanted D'Angelo Russell even before that, and that uh, he's obviously very good friends with Carl, but, like, people forget this dude was an all-star. The dude took the Brooklyn Nets to the playoffs pretty much by himself in the Eastern. Sure, it was the Eastern Conference, but like, dude can play. And there were nights where the where you were a Wolves fan and you just knew like, oh, fuck, D'Angelo Russell's just gonna cook us tonight. Like D'Angelo Russell had fifty fucking points <laughs> against the Timberwolves one game last year. Yeah, like sure, ah. the Wolves ended up winning on the back of Andrew Wiggins, which is ironic, but like, <laughs> um, you know, I, I rather would have done what what we did just because. When he's at his best, like when we saw D'Lo cooking on Wednesday night, like that's a really good player. He's been yeah, good. He's been really sure, good. And yeah, and yeah, sure, D'Angelo Russell was really shitty for the first four games. But for the last five games, yeah. his numbers are incredible. Yeah. Exactly what you'd look for. And people want to look at all this on-off bullshit. And yeah, you want to know what? The on-off bullshit's going to be really skewed right now because uh, – because D'Angelo Russell has been playing starter minutes and has been playing with starters, where Rick, whereas Ricky Rubio has been playing with a bench unit that has been okay. And when you don't have Carl Anthony Towns and you don't have Josh Kogi, like that starting unit is going to be way worse and get killed way more when they're on the floor. And I think that that's just kind of contributed to this 
you know, let's hate on D'Lo narrative. And, you know, sure, did I say that D'Lo wasn't playing well when he wasn't playing well? Yeah, I absolutely didn't say that D'Lo was, was, was playing poorly when he was. But, like, I just think that, that people want – everybody wanted D'Angelo Russell, and now he's here, and people still have the audacity to just, like, constantly shit on him when you can't just enjoy one of the smoothest and entertaining basketball players. He, he had that night. stretch when they were ru- running the Grizzlies out for a while where he hit like, I think he like had a super sexy, like he just does those weird things with his arms and he got to the basket for a layup and then he hit a three. And then in transition, he had this lob pass over the top to Nas Reed who was running the court. And you could tell that was the like most just in tune. He has been in a wolves uniform. Like he was starting to cook. And he looked so good. But I just to kind of wrap up my take on this is like, I'm with I, the Jack's right, Jake's right. Like the Minnesota Timberwolves ha- had a dog that just continuously shit all over the backyard. And his name was Andrew Wiggins. And they were picking up that dog shit for years. And finally, they said, I don't, we have this disposable income. I'm going to pay someone to get this shit out of here. And they paid someone with the first round pick to just take that shit out of there get rid of the dog, and now they have a cat. But I don't think I would be feeling any better at 3-8 and eight right now having an un- having our pick next year if I was still watching Andrew Wiggins because we all watch him, and he's not better. I mean, spoiler alert, Jack, you know this. Like He's not a better basketball player. He might get four blocks in a game. Oh, no. He's doing he's the not. exact same shit, and it wouldn't make me feel any better. And we don't know, and it is stupid. It is petty, but who knows if Carl would be like, we still have Wiggins? I don't give a fuck about a first-round pick. Get me out of here. This place is yeah. jinxed. Like, get me out. So it, it sounds stupid, and it's not on basketball reference, man, but keeping Carl happy is important because I just ranted with you guys about how he is an all-NBA center with one arm. So, yeah, keeping that dude happy for now is all we've got, and I am so glad not to have Andrew Wiggins on the team. And I just love watching people. Just just search him on Twitter every night. Search him because if you go to the latest, <laughs> it, people are just are, – people have watched – more Andrew Wiggins games this year in the Bay Area than they've watched in his entire career, and they are getting the experience, man. It is so oh, they're enjoyable. On, they're on step one. They're on step one of the Andrew Wiggins cycle, which is excitement that he's living up to his potential. Then you've got to wait for, oh, the next step is, oh, maybe maybe he's going to plateau a little bit, and then the third step is Andrew Wiggins fucking sucks again, and the fourth yep. step is trade this dude and then it circles back around to oh Andrew Wiggins is living up to his potential like that's the Andrew Wiggins experience we went through it for six years mentally mental health wise a a first round pick is definitely worth it for my mental health to not watch Andrew Wiggins anymore like and Andrew Wiggins was an awesome dude and you know he had there was so many times where I jumped off my couch streaming Andrew Wiggins name you know in, in in happiness but at the end of the day I couldn't watch Andrew this team was stuck in a rut in you know purgatory like they could not just keep headbutting the wall uh with andrew wiggins and and hoping that that it stopped hurting like and i think and i think jack already said this but to wrap up your question your point the, I, we don't even know if they could have done two top 10 protected picks or we don't yeah, know that that's, was, that's hypothetical know, completely hypothetical yeah but they i mean this is where i do support gers even though it's gonna probably suck but he just ripped the band-aid off he just said let's just you know, it would be great if it was top seven protected. I mean, I think people do forget that it is top three protected. And I know you guys know way more about the incoming draft class next year than I do. It's very good. But it also, 
you know, like it's, it might have I don't some think duds. From, from everything, from everything I, I've watched, and obviously I haven't really dug into it as much as I probably will at the end of the season. And from people reading, people that I trust, it's very much a little bit overrated after you know five to seven down. Like I think the top five to seven, obviously, I think Kate Cunningham is going to be generational. Jalen Suggs is really good. Evan Mobley really good. Like I think, but I don't think it's like the 15th pick in this draft is going to be better than Anthony Edwards. Like, it's not that kind of class. It's just got some really good players at the top. And Minnesota might miss out on one of those players. At this point, they might not. They might get Cade Cunningham. But I just think that they had... Like, you, I think that's a perfect analogy is they just had to rip the Band-Aid off. Like, they had to do something. They couldn't just keep going through another year of Andrew Wiggins because eventually they would have had to pay this price to get off him. Like... Whether they were paying for a 2027 20, first round pick, top three protected, or a, you know, 2025 first round pick, like eventually they would have had to pay this price unless they were just going to ride it out for five, another five years with Andrew Wiggins. Like, it just, he, it, I think the, the biggest, you know, the most colorful and beautiful feather in, in Jerson Rose's cap is that he managed to get rid of Wiggins, Teague, Jorgy Jang, who I love, and I don't like saying his name in this conversation, but, like, this roster was weighed down with some terrible contracts. Like, and I know they're still in cap hell, but, like, at least D'Angelo Russell, you know, we've just discussed, like, we all think he's a good player. Carnthony Towns obviously worth the money. Malik Beasley's looking like more of a steal somehow every game, even though we all complained that $60 million was too much for him. And, like, Juan Jan and Gomez was a bad signing, but he's turned the cap hell they were into into a much better looking cap hell. And I think in the long run, that'll probably pay off. I think the Timberwolves are in like their teenage years. Like, I think, I think it was like, I think it's like, I, I don't know about you guys, but like as a teenager way back, like I was ugly as hell. And I was like Gumby like in how long my arms were and it didn't fit my big ass head. But like, I just think, I think the Timberwolves rebuild, even though at three and eight and now the best player on our team is gone for two to weeks or whatever. Like, I think Malik Beasley is like if you're building a house from scratch, like it's a window, right? And like I think Anthony Edwards is a door. Like I, I think they're I if you think that this team's not in a better spot despite the lack of you know a top three protected pick next year than they were when he took over, I just don't think we'll ever fig I don't think we'll gel, you and I, because I think it's ugly right now, but I think they are making some sort of progress. But but again, until they win, what can you do? Uh, I want to take a little break and and get some ads in here, and then I want to come back and I want to talk about Ricky Rubio and Jared Culver, and then and then we'll wrap this up because I think they're the two other ones that are, have been playing on my mind so far this season. So um, yeah, be back in a second. All right, we're back. I want to talk about Ricky Rubio. I think that all of us had. You know, some questions about his fit and stuff on draft night and some questions about what what the deal kind of, you know, what the, what the the logic behind the deal was a little bit. But I think then we all agreed that Ricky Rubio was still a really good player, a really good leader, had just come off seasons where he'd helped Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell become better versions of themselves. Um, and obviously Minnesota have Andrew Wiggins and, uh, sorry, Jarrett Culver and and Anthony Edwards and, and, you know, wings that I guess they they want to have similar paths to the, to the Bookers and the Mitchells of the world. Um, and then I also think that it's fair to say that Ricky Rubio has 
been really bad this season. Like, for me, Rubio has just been disjointed, uh, mind, body, and soul disjointed. Like, he looks lost, which is something I never expected to say about Rubio. I think body-wise, he looks flat-footed. He looks slow. He looks out of shape. He he looks like, you know, the the, the weight of losing games and having his role reduced and, and generally just underperforming has really started to to impact his mentality and it seems like he's visibly questioning every decision on the court instead of just playing with that flair and that intuitiveness that we're used to seeing from him throughout his career and now you know he's turning down open looks for dribble probes that go nowhere he's he's missing passes I think that he'd normally make and then he's just compounding those issues defensively by just not being very good defensively who, who which is something we have, haven't seen of, from Ricky throughout his whole career. I, I just think it's been rough for Ricky, if I'm honest. I he's, he's one of the one guys that I think I do have some faith in figuring it out just because he's been in these slumps before and he's seen enough of the NBA to know how to, to deal with them and to overcome adversity and to adapt to new situations. But there's a real chance this gets worse before it gets better. And I don't know, is there something that either of you guys have seen that, you know, can point in the direction of why this is happening with Rubio or, or like what's going on with Rubio? Jack, I'll throw to you. What's going on with Rubio? Um, you know, I think for Rubio, I, I just don't think he understands the balance of how much he needs to shoot the ball or try and take it to the rim and, and you know, rely on, rely on the other guys on the floor. And, you know, I've something that, that I've seen a lot from Ricky Rubio that we didn't see in Denver and we, or excuse me, we didn't see in Utah and we didn't see in Phoenix was him just taking a lot of dumbass shots that took other guys out of rhythm. Like Ricky Rubio for his whole career has done a tremendous job of making those around him better and helping get guys in a rhythm and help keeping them in a rhythm. Um, and this year, like we've seen Rubio do some really dumb stuff where, you know, he like Malik makes two threes in a row or, um, you know, uh, Anthony Edwards is, is really rolling and getting to the, getting to the rim. Um, and then Ricky Rubio will just take a one legged step back, fade away shot off the glass from mid range that then leads to a run out and then leads to a bucket. And then the other team gets all the momentum back. And, you know, his offensive IQ just has not been great. I think he's done a good job of, I mean, his assist numbers are pretty good. Uh, his turnover turnover numbers are pretty good too. But um, some of his decision-making, I just think, has been really poor. Um, and he's gotten beat a lot off the dribble. Um, and that wasn't something that we usually saw in uh, in Phoenix and in, and in Utah. And it's unfortunately something that we're seeing a lot here. It could be conditioning stuff but I mean he's played in every game now and um, you know I don't really think there's a conditioning excuse once you're 11 games into the season Um, and and things just haven't really gotten a whole lot better and um, you know hopefully for his sake he can start shooting it better so that that way he can at least put a little bit more pressure on defenses but um, I I think the thing that, that I've noticed too is that a lot of the guys in the Timberwolves roster need help with like having a point guard that can collapse defenses and uh, and, then, and then kick the ball out. And we know that Jordan McLaughlin can do that. And I, I would argue that Jordan McLaughlin might be a better fit at point guard on the floor with this roster than Ricky Rubio is. 
And you could also make the argument that Rosas made a really stupid move by, you know, trading James Johnson, who would be a perfect fit on this roster and is exactly the type of guy that this team needs right now um, to, you know, just help kind of stabilize things. And, you know, and you could look too that Precious, Precious Achiwa, who I know Ryan Saunders was very high on, was around at 17. He got drafted at 20 by the Heat. And uh, and if you don't trade Rubio, maybe you keep James Johnson for the year or use him to trade later. And then, um, you know, and then you can also draft Precious Achiwa. And there you have two really solid power forward options. And that probably looks a lot better than Ricky Rubio and Jane McDaniels right now. But, um, you know, I think Jane McDaniels is also really going to be a, a player. Um, just his, his combination of size, athleticism, and, and really good skill with the ball in his hands, too, I think is great. Um, so I think when you when you think about the Rubio trade, uh, that's also something that you have to consider. I think the Rubio, I think, I think again, I have like weird pictures in my childhood basement still of like signed by Rubio. Like I'm top three favorite Timberwolves, and I know if like if our if our friend Leo's listening to this, he's gonna be just crushed. But like I don't think anything about this has gone right, and it sucks because I again. I have this weird like way of like just relating to people and like how good humans are. I don't think he's done anything right. And I think it sucks for him because I think he has no idea what his role is, right? Like he he needs the ball. So like everything Jack just said is right, but like he's not going to get to the rim all the time and like I mean dude, he's missed a couple bunnies that were embarrassing and he's made a couple layups that look damn near gave me a heart attack because he's still like is like open layups for him are are a brain fart like it just doesn't work so i think he's going to be a contract like i i just think when this is all said and done i don't think we're going to see this guy finish these last two years on his deal and then resign which sucks you know but it pulls my heartstrings but like i i haven't seen anything about him so far go right and again some of it's not his fault because he's getting tossed into all these different rotations and all these different experiments but He's had too many times. I don't expect him to hit a bunch of threes and make a bunch of layups, but he's had too many times where he just has like he's trying to make a play and he has an a, a, you know, a full court pass that gets stolen or he just like Jack said his defense has not been there. And that's kind of why you need him too. So it's it's sad. Uh I I don't know how much better he is than Jordan McLaughlin for this what this team needs. And I think that's a big question mark because one of those guys you're paying peanuts and one of those guys you're paying $16 million. So I think I, I don't think, unlike Carl, I don't think he's in like a – Jack, correct me if I'm wrong. He's not like in a 10-day quarantine. I think it from what it sounds like he, he could be back if they play Monday. But um, he has looked like he's gotten in a little better shape. A lot of guys have been out of shape, but – nothing about him has looked right and it's sad but i just like if i had to pick five guys to stake my heart to like he's probably not in it man because i don't know what he's done to help them win games and he's just done a lot of dumb shit he's trying i get it he's trying to make plays but he's not you can't pay him 16 million dollars to hug ant after ant fucks up at the end of a game like that's just not what we're we can't do that so yeah i i I think it gets to a point and again the money that the contracts the the Rosas trading for him, the Ryan Saunders believing in him and, and and being really close with him. I think that all factors in here, but it, it gets to a point where you just have to give him pure backup point guard minutes, I think. 
Like, you can't keep playing him with Russell. You can't keep pretending like he's the fourth best player on the team like we thought he would be. You can't keep giving him 28 minutes a game. Like, And he shouldn't at, close either. No, I at some point closing. he has to get 14 minutes a game. Like, if that's if Russell's going to play, you know, 34, then Rubio gets 14 and you just treat him st- strictly as a backup. And that's horrible for Ricky because I know that he, like, he obviously thinks of himself better than that and, and a lot of us think of him better than that when he's playing well. But right now he's not and you're hurting the team by playing him 25 minutes a game. Like, I just don't, I don't understand. I and that's where you can, that that's where you can critique Rosas, right? Because the the team's, three of the team's four best players right now, well, don't don't push me back on this, but like three of the f- team's four most important players right now are D'Angelo Russell, uh, Malik Beasley, Carlton Towns, and Anthony Edwards. Because if it comes down to getting playing time, and I'm, I'm going to rant on this at the end, I, I do want your opinion on it, but like, if it comes down to like, hey, we're just going to lose games, and this is a true growing pains year, Anthony Edwards needs every possible minute over Ricky Rubio. Every possible minute. Yep. If it comes down yep. to this weird point guard experiment like we did with Zach Levine in the past, Anthony Edwards needs a ball. Because I need to see him create off you know, high pick and rolls. I need to see him get in the paint and kick. And he's been doing some... Anthony Edwards passing has been the biggest bright spot for me because I never really saw that in all the shit that you guys showed me from Georgia. So it just in the pecking order, yeah, you're paying a guy sixteen million dollars, and like you said, he might not get that many minutes in a game. So that's a, that's been one of the downest downest. That's not a word. It's been one of the worst moments of the season for me. It's just I I think that guy can still play. I think he's a great human. I think he's a great leader. I don't know what his role is on this team pre Carl. Being COVID post Carl, like I just don't see what his role is supposed to be. And I think that it's it's always been like between the years, there's always been an issue for Ricky. I think even in his first stint in Minnesota, when he got down on himself, when he when he couldn't hit a jumper, uh, he just you know he would get worse and worse and worse, and eventually he'd have a breakout night, and then he'd start to to get better again. And right now, I think that might be what Saunders is trying to walk that tightrope of keeping him happy enough where maybe it improves his game. And I think that's the same as Wancho. I think Saunders is trying to keep everyone happy and hope that that, that morale boosts, boosts their on-court production. And But at some point, you have to just cut your losses. And, which is, which is know, why Jack said one of the smartest things, I swear to God, I'm not just fluffing you, Jack, that I've heard in a long time, is that Ryan is a player's coach and way too many of his guys are struggling with confidence. And yeah. that would be like the dagger that I have no comeback for is that I've coached like sports, like soccer and basketball, younger guys. Like you can't just constantly be rah, 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 right? Like, I mean, even you guys, like you guys are great, phenomenal, phenomenal writers. Should be at, should be at the athletic. But like, if you like want my help, I can't, if you're writing in a funk or something, I can't, it doesn't help me to be like, hey, rah, 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 like just, you know, keep patting your back. Like, I need to give you constructive things that you should work on. And for Ryan, like this concept of a player's coach is cool, but if the results aren't there, and I'm not talking wins and losses, like the growth and the development, then that shit means nothing to me. Because we got guys like the Culver thing, that's way too volatile. Okay, the Anthony Edwards thing is way too volatile. Ricky, Wancho, Jake Lehman, who's just been buried. Half the roster has confidence issues. And a player's coach should be able to get through those guys. He should be able to take them out for social distance coffee and be like, let's talk about life and connect with those guys. And that's where Jack, I think, hit it on the head is like, if Ryan can't connect 
to his players as a player coach, that's probably the biggest red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I was just going to add that um, the other thing too, that I think needs to be considered here is like, if Rosas makes a mistake with the roster, like a Rubio or a Wancho, um, I don't think it makes any sense at all to try and fit a round peg in a square or a round peg in a square hole just because you made the commitment. I mean, half the reason why shitty teams stay shitty is because they make these moves, convince themselves that they're the right moves, even though it's clearly not working. Um, and they just end up digging themselves a deeper hole. And, uh, right now, um, you know, I, I think you could almost look at that Rubio thing and, and say, you want to know what? Like, once we get to the, the threshold where Jordan McLaughlin can play in every game for the rest of the season, um, I would start calling teams about Rubio. I would. Um, because I think he would be a lot better in a different situation. And, um, and, and I think you want to punt on that asset while it's not completely depreciated. And I, and I'm not saying that like Rubio is going to get completely depreciated like Jeff T because I think that Rubio is able to provide a lot more value, especially to a playoff team than Jeff Teague would. But, um, you know, too, the other thing to consider is that Rubio's contract is $17 million and that's a pretty damn good salary piece. Um, if you're trying to trade for a disgruntled star, maybe it's Ben Simmons now because of the shit show that's gone down in Philly the last week. Maybe it's, you know, Bradley Beal. Maybe it's, you know, insert player here. I don't know. It's just, I, I think that I, I thought when Rubio came in, there's no way he's going to get traded before, excuse me, his, his contract is up, which is at the end of next season. Um, but now I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's looking more and more likely that he's going to, he's going to get traded. And I, I would just say, cause Jack brought up a good point earlier about pride. I also think Gerson Rosas is a fucking killer. And I think as we saw last year, when he got all these guys on his roster, he signed all these guys. Yeah. They were one year deal stuff brought up all the Bahamas. When, when they realized in that 35 game experiment or ever that it wasn't working or some of these guys can't be spacers. He purged the roster. And if you know I me, mean, we all talk to people, by the way. We all have like little connections. It's a fact that Jarrett Culver was available this summer. And that was his first big move, right? And Jared Culver, and he didn't, they didn't move him. But I, I do think to defend Gers, even though I'm talking about messes he's made, I don't think he would hesitate a second to flip Rubio, Culver. I mean, I think the only reason he can't trade right now is because half the guys on his roster, Jack, right? Like they can't trade him until March 3rd. Or something. Rubio's Rubio is eligible to be traded. Okay. Okay. So maybe, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think that guy, for as much as people thought he brought Rubio in as a PR move, I firmly don't think that guy gives a damn about flipping Rubio again. And that's where I would like. That's where I support him. Is I think that guy's ruthless, and I think he will cut bait if he realizes that they're not like. That's why I think Wancho will be gone. I think. I, I, mean, I differ with Jack on this. I think, but like, I think he's like, yo, this guy's not going to work. We got to get rid of him. And I think you'll is he a killer? Is he a killer with the roster? Is he a killer? But is is he a killer with himself? Oh, this has got psychological. Uh, Does he look in the mirror and say, "I fucked up, so I'm going to get off this"? Because right now we we've only seen stuff that he's brought in. We haven't seen a, a thing where he he's acknowledged. You know what? I fucked up on that. Yeah, all and, of the all of the things that he shipped out. 
all of the pieces that he's shifted out have been Tibbs pieces, not Rosas pieces. Well, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking about like the Jordan Bells of the world and stuff, guys that we thought like, oh, he got Jordan Bell in, and they have his like his bird rights and all this stuff, and then he's like, no, Jordan Bell can't play; he's out. So I, yeah, but I also think it's easier to do that when a guy's making a minimum contract or just right, barely right. above it than it is when a guy's making seventeen million dollars a year and is a fan favorite. And no, that's uh, a good point. That is a guy that you're best player trusts so it's just going to be interesting to see if you know they can do something differently with they can do something differently with uh with rubio that can kind of unlock him a little bit or uh if if this ship is is just sailed and they're gonna try and move off of it but i think they've got a that's a good point they've got to figure that out sooner rather than later here because if you ship him out and you're able to get something in return you can either flip that for a guy like PJ Tucker who might be able to help the team longer term, I guess, or, um, you know, or just play Anthony Edwards way more minutes um, and just try and fast track his development as much as you can. So, um, all right, I want to move on to one guy, and I think that he ties into the same kind of confidence and and mental makeup issues, and that's we've already touched on it a little bit, but that's Jared Culver. Um, Obviously, very different in terms of talent and experience and game style, but I think right now the mental makeup between him and and, Ru- and Rubio seems to be on the same wavelength, and that's something that's become like a staple of Culver's time in the NBA. When things don't go right for JC, he just goes into his shell, and you can see it in the way he's completely shunned the three-point shot from his arsenal he attempted 11 threes in the first four games. He's taken 11 in the seven games since. He's taken two in the last three games. He shot seven free throws in the first two games. He's taken six free throws total in the last five games, which is a result, I think, of just inconsistent rim attacks and aversion to contact since that free throw juice that he had in the preseason and the early season has started to, to wear off a little bit. And then I even defensively, I don't think Culver's been good enough this season. I think we think he's better than he is because he's just not the the absolute horrid defender that, that some of the guys are but I think he's I don't think he's taken any steps forward defensively from last season and I just think that more so than Rubio Culver's issues are starting to worry me uh, I'm a big believer that you have to give young guys a shot to develop like some guys aren't Donovan Mitchell or aren't Tyler Hero or you know any other dude who just enters the NBA and, and their skills pop off the screen immediately but but Culver's trending backward, in my opinion, right now, even from his very mediocre rookie season. And, and that's a concern for me. And, it, like, is he a guy that, you know, Kyle, is he a guy that you think the same along the same lines as, as Rubio? Do you think that they're going to look to cut bait again? Like, they obviously, they tried in, in the summer. Do you think they'll look to cut bait on him again? Like, is he is he salvageable in your mind? Well, this is what Jack put, Jack boxed me into a corner. That was a good point. I feel like I'm in prison, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I think I think that's a good point. We haven't seen Gerse cut ties with a player that he invested in, so I have no counter to that. With Jarrett, I actually thought Jarrett, even though his his you know again his confidence issues and stuff, I thought he started to look pretty good there for a while. Um, and but I that's think- the problem. That's the problem is that he starts to look good, and then he has one bad game. And it just saps everything out of him. And then all of a sudden, he has three bad games where he can't... You don't even notice him out there. And I know he does. He Every game, he does one or two good things. But, like, 
he's what 100 games into his career now 90 games or whatever into his career like we need to start seeing these flashes at least a little bit more often and these confidence issues a little bit less i am not smart enough to comment on this but i still have faith in him but i'm not as attached to him as i probably was over the summer or last year i think he's put together more goods than bad building off of last year i really do and i think as fans of a bad team we're prisoners of the moment of every time he does something good it's plus one but every time he does something bad it's minus two so i think that's where we're like kind of stuck in like yeah like the he had a he had a moment i think against the grizzlies where he drove really hard because he's jacked up on protein powder and got to the rim and got fouled, right? But he didn't like to drive those last three months last year of his rookie season. And he was like, fuck it. I'm going to the rim. Got fouled, clanked both free throws. So I was like the plus one, minus two type thing. So I still believe I like seeing him out there. I like seeing him with Josh. Uh, I like seeing him with Ant a little bit. Um, I don't think I would just cut, like trade him for a 30-year-old, you know, guy in the last year of his deal type thing. Um but like again, if we're cutting down, I would much rather get rid of Rubio and and still believe in in Jarrett. Um, but I'm I'm not as attached that like if he was in a bigger part of a deal. I mean, we had all talked about Aaron Gordon this year, right? Like if he was part of an Aaron Gordon deal and you could make it work, uh, I think I just want to win. Like I I don't care as long as they don't trade Anthony Edwards, I'm okay. Yeah, Jack, and I think go ahead. I, I was just gonna ask you, would you trade Cole for PJ Tucker? They're at the opposite ends of their career. The potential for Culver's still there, where obviously PJ Tucker is who he is. I have I have a number in front of me, which I just want to throw out because I don't have a chance to do it properly again. That the Rockets are twenty one points worse defensively when PJ Tucker's on the floor this season, which is weird than kind of probably you know just a, a function of them being like dysfunctional. I think shit. I think the but Rockets like, I think the Rockets stats on and off are a. It, that's a real stat, by the way, that Jake just said. But I think they're about as meaningless as what we try yeah, to oh, gather yeah. from the Timberwolves right now because half the time James Harden was just stripping on the court. Like, it, he was not trying. Um, but I'm just going to say my part, and then I want Jack to put me back in prison. I would not trade that because I don't think that's how the Timberwolves ever – I think they should get P.J. Tucker for the Ken. I think if they was cost three second-round picks, they should do it. But I don't think I would do Jarrett Culver for him. Because I just I think again that's just a short term thing that you gotta figure out. But Jack, tell me I'm wrong. Uh, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Um, I'd also keep Jared Culver, um, and the reason being for that is because um, if a guy's shown a legitimate synergy and chemistry with your best player, um, there's and it's led to good results on the floor, um, then. I think there's cause to keep a player like that, especially if he's on a rookie contract. Um, and especially if um, he's made significant improvements from year one to year two. And, um, you know, for Jared Culver, I think it's just a confidence thing. And I think when Cat was out, um, that was just a blow to his confidence because I think Cat being on the floor makes the game a lot easier for, for Culver on offense and on defense. And I, you know, I, think you try and ride it out as you can with Culver um, just because I think that their Wolves have enough on the roster as it is to trade for PJ Tucker without having to include uh, Jared Culver. Like you could trade Jake Lehman and Ed Davis in probably two or three second round picks um, and, and get a deal done. 
and, and that would work financially for, for us and for them. Um, and we could also take back Chris Clemens, who's a guy who's a torn Achilles right now, but is an unguaranteed contract, so he can still be traded. Uh, Chris Clemens, so would, Chris be- Clemens would still be better than Wancho right now. Didn't Chris? <laughs> didn't Chris Clemens stole like thirty against Minnesota last season? I swear to God, yeah, that he happened. Did. And, he, and he's sorry, uh, I, I interrupted you. My bad. I think he's top ten too. Yeah, he's like he's way up there in the career NCA scoring ranks. Um, he led the NCA in scoring the last few years. He was at I think Campbell was the school he went to. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that the Wolves have other ways that they can get the deal done. So you obviously try and do that first. But like if they say like, hey. Uh, we'll do PJ Tucker for, for you know, Jerk Culver. I think I would try and throw Jake Lehman in there or Ed Davis in there and say, give us back Ben Mclemore or Daniel House or something and throw in extra shit. But um, yeah, I I, th- I think it would just depend on what the deal looks like and and you know what Cat looks like when he comes back if he comes back. And I, and I think again, age is not an indictment of winning or. That's not the word I'm looking for. Um, but anyway, age, like Jared Culver's 21 right now today. He turns 22 in February. The guy that he was essentially traded for, Cam Johnson, who has probably looked better. Right, Jack? Like Cam Johnson's just looked like a better pro. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's looked better. But he's, yeah, he's, a, he's a good player. He's good. He's 24, though. He turns 25 a month after Jarrett. So, again, not, not that it's a big deal, but that I mean Jarrett – still is only 21 like again going back to the plus one minus two thing like yeah it's not beautiful with him but if you do go back and look at 2019 draft results half the guys in the top 15 like you can really poke giant holes in like i don't i mean someone just raised their hand and yell at me but like jackson hayes has been terrible like kobe white's had his ups and downs i mean there's a lot of guys in that draft that didn't hit yes tyler hero was awesome yes pj washington's been awesome but i just think that Jarrett has he's still too young that I wouldn't just be like, hell, we're going to trade him for a quarter rather than, you know, yeah, 75 no, I, cents. I agree with that. I, w- I wouldn't trade him for that. And I don't necessarily think PJ Tucker is a quarter either. But all I'll say is that when we saw Jarrett Culver, um, you know, when we saw Jarrett Culver in, in that last preseason game or in the preseason in general, and then in that first couple of games in the NBA of the NBA regular season, um, he was legitimately excellent. And, both as a defender and and knocked down open shots, got to the rim. Um, and I think, that, and we didn't see that really at all last year at, at any point in the year. And now the fact that we've seen that, I think might almost make the wolves want to hang on to him and see if they can unlock it. But it's just so tough that from the wolves perspective, everything you evaluate has to be done when the team is somewhat at full strength or evaluating it evaluating that person and their role in relation to Carl Anthony Towns because the rotate the entire organization revolves around him. And you know, it's really tough when Jared Culver's look really good with Carl Anthony Towns is look really, really, really bad without him. Uh, it's just tough to to kind of sit here and try and decide, okay, do we wait for Kat to come back, try and get a more full evaluation, or like um, do we just say you know what it hasn't worked and just say whatever fuck it we're going to trade him like it's just it the wolves are in between a rock and a, and a hard place and he's the type of player that goes somewhere else and becomes really good like yeah. that's that's the you know, the model here the that minnesota have seen happen to them hundreds of times so like if they traded him for peanuts pj tucker would probably 
be terrible for half a season or something and he'd leave in unrestricted free agency and then Jared Culver would end up averaging 18 points a game next season or something along those lines. So it is tough. I, I, I don't think I answered, but I do agree with both of you guys. I wouldn't trade him for Tucker. And that's, and I think just, you know, getting the lay of the land here, I think I've been maybe a little bit more down on him than either of you guys. But I think that I also, like I said, I believe that you need to, you need to give these guys time to develop. We see way too many players get good in their fifth year um, the, rather than, you know, and they've already bounced down the league. Like, if you see too many Christian Woods and too many Brandon Ingrams, like, you know, guys who obviously Ingram was a second overall pick and, and highly touted, but, like, he copped so much shit for his, in his first three years in LA. And now he's a bona fide all-star and every time I watch Ingram play I think man this dude's good like I'm not saying that Cole was going to be Brandon Ingram but like at some point I think you do have to just give him a bit of a leash and and this team's going to be good if he can be good so um Jake I want to hijack this quick because I think that is a perfect flip like perfect spot if you've been listening for 80 minutes I swear we'll wrap this up but this is a beautiful way to end this is that Brandon Ingram Christian Wood Jarrett Culver is experiencing the same things that I'm scared for Ant, and that's why I'm going to put a bunch of lipstick on this current pig, is that Ryan need the my biggest gripe with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Gerson Rosas and everyone involved in that organization is that they didn't really understand the expectations for this year. It I, Yes, they have two All-Stars. Yes, they had the first overall pick. They sh- you can't come out and say, man, I'm so horny to win 30 games. But I'm going to say it now. The, the sooner this franchise realizes where they're at and the realities of the situation, the more fun and the better this will be over the next five years. And the reason I say that is Jarrett Culver came in his rookie year, did not get a summer league because of all the dumb NBA rules, got thrown into a weird training camp, and never got to adjust. Jarrett Culver would have played a hell of a lot in summer league as a second-year guy if life was normal, he would have been living in Las Vegas and doing no sinful things because he's such a good guy. Anthony Edwards would have spent his whole summer in Vegas doing the same thing. Okay, Jared, the, the, I reckon Anthony Edwards would be at the strip clubs though. Yeah, 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 yeah. They would have, they would have hung out in different <laughs> circles. But what I'm saying is, is that the Timberwolves need to not tank, even though it's probably going to result in that. They need to force minutes because the Timberwolves would have pummeled teams in the desert this summer. With Jared Vanderbilt playing 30 minutes of Summer League, Anthony Edwards, Jared Culver. These guys haven't had good reps. Like, G League, you can't send Anthony Edwards to the G League, but they need reps to just pummel people that are less than them to then increase their confidence that it can't dip below the new, the new, the new floor. So the Wolves need, that's why what I want to ask you is what are your expectations for the rest of the season as we sit here at three and eight? Towns is out for two weeks. What are your like realistic op? or your kind of realistic expectations, but also like, what would you want? Cause what I want is I want them to force minutes to Culver. I want them to for Russell's going to play. He'll be fine. He'll, he'll, he'll keep them afloat to win some games, but Jerry Vanderbilt, Anthony Edwards, those guys need reps. Anthony Edwards needs to run 20 pick and rolls to just like, because these guys haven't had the reps that these other guys, Ingram and all these guys had in summer leagues. And that's going to kill the development of this team. Yeah. My expectations seem to fluctuate on a daily basis. Like, I don't know what I expect from them. I still expect them to 
because of the pick situation and they're not going to tank. And I think even at their worst, I don't think they're the worst team in the league. Like, I think, you know, we assume Towns are still going to probably play 40, 45 games or whatever this season, like, unless, God forbid, another injury occurs. But, or, you know, by his rights, he just sits out the season because of all this COVID shit and that that would be completely fine as well, to be honest. But uh, I just, if Towns is there... I think they have to try and win games. Like, I don't think you can... I don't think you can get the seventh pick. Like, I don't think you can just kind of want to be... Not want to be bad, but I don't think Saunas can trot out McDaniels, you know, Nas Reed, Anthony Edwards lineups for 15 minutes a game. If you're gonna, if you're still not going to be the worst in the league and you're still not going to get your pick, like, I don't think you can tank at all. I just think if Towns is playing 45 games, you have to try and win. I think I completely acknowledge that they're not going to win enough to be a playoff team. But I just think that you have to try and come 10th. Like, and this all changes if Towns misses more time. Um, and it all changes for the better if Anthony Edwards, you know, finds a groove in game 30 and starts, you know, playing really well or Jared Culver becomes the preseason Jared Culver dude that, you know, destroyer of worlds. Like, I just think you have to win games. I think you have to try your best to win games. Ryan Saunders himself needs to try his best to win games or he's gonna, his seat is going to be burning hot by the end of the season. Um, so I don't know I don't know what my expect- expectations is of how many of them games they win, but I think they need to try and win them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was just going to add before I throw it to Jack, like I didn't mean tank. I just mean... I think as the season prolongs and we start to get more March Madness vibes and we start to watch more of these college teams, I think you'll see bottom teams tank. Just it's what the world does. And I think you'll see those teams just fall off a cliff. And I think the Wolves will win enough games because they have talent that they're not going to be the fourth team in the draft. I just don't. But my thing is, is that two weeks from now when Carl comes back, just hammer Russell, Beasley, Culver, Akogi, town starting lineups or, or jared vanderbilt in there make him the, the second guy off the bench and the first guy off the bench like i just don't need to see any more wancho minutes or lame like i just want to the guys that are going to be here next year just force feed those guys as much opportunities as they can get because i think you're going to win games no matter what because other teams are going to be tanking anyway and i think they'll string together four wins in a row but i just you have to embrace where you're at with the youngest team in the league and just just give those guys minutes. That's Culver can't play 16 minutes in back-to-back games because then you're just killing him. You are giving him no chance to work out this shit and figure it out and find a rhythm. Jack, are you with me? You look like you're not with me. No, I'm completely with okay. you because I, I think that you know if the only th- I mean the only thing you're going to do that can hurt his confidence is not playing. And uh, if you're not going to be winning games or being super competitive you should definitely try and pump a dude's confidence up by putting him out there and saying hey let's work through this and give him the opportunity to get shit on film that you can go through in practice or before the game and say hey let's work through this this is what you did well this is what you didn't do well let's build on this constructively um and so with, with JC, they're going to need him to step up. And, you know, hopefully he'll have a little bit more confidence that he won't have to guard the other team's best player now that Josh will be help, healthy, hopefully, and won't be on the COVID list. Um, but, you know, we'll just we'll just have to wait and see, man. Um, but, but I don't think that 
the Jarrett Culver situation gets any better by sitting his ass on the bench, especially without Cat, and, and you need all the defense that you can get. That, that was the point of my rant is just like the Anthony Edwards boneheaded thing at the end of that game when he should have dunked it or then he tried to kick it out and stuff like I'm okay with that. And it's not because I'm an apologist. It's just, I think that was a cool growing moment for him. That's on film, like Jack said, and they can learn from that. They can't try to just like salvage a win because they don't have their pick next year and just like give it to all these guys that don't mean shit. I can't, I can't watch. Like I'm cool with Anthony Edwards closing games, even though the dude has no idea what he's doing. I just, you can't, you can't trust in Jared. Especially Col- while Cat's out. Yeah. 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 I just, I think. Throw Jared, at, fuck it. Throw Jared Vanderbilt at the five. Run D'Lo, Malik, Ant, J.O., and J.V. Fuck it. Yeah. Why not? What do you I have think to that, lose? I think people forget that Vanderbilt's 21. Like, Vanderbilt from this year is just as much of a building block as Culver. There's probably not Edwards because he was the number one pick. But, like, there's something clearly there in Vanderbilt. And I know we haven't touched on him much, and uh, I'm going to wrap this up in a minute but like Vanderbilt's 21 he's a restricted free agent they've got his bird rights like there is no reason they shouldn't be treating him the same way as they're treating any other young player that they drafted or that they think can be a part of the future tour because he's like he's younger than Culver I, I believe or at least right on par with him in age like he's younger than Josh Atoji he's you know only two years older than than Anthony Edwards like he's a part of the tour Vanderbilt and I think that you need to like you need to develop him just like you develop these other guys. And I don't want to rant on, on Vanderbilt. I've done it a million times on this show, but I just think that that you are right, Carl. I, I think that I think I might have misconstrued your point a little bit when I answered that question is like there's absolutely no way they should be giving, you know, one show or Ed Davis minutes over guys like the Cody and Culver and Edwards and you know, like Vanderbilt, like these guys need minutes. And if Towns is there, I believe these guys can get minutes and still be a competitive team, at least as competitive as they're going to be with Hernan Gomez and Ed Davis and, and the likes of, you know, those older dudes. Yeah. I mean, the, la- the last thing that I'll throw out there is that, um, you know, I, I think the Timberwolves have been trying to give guys shots like Vanderbilt, or excuse me, not like, like Wancho and like Ricky and, and Lehman. And now that you're almost done giving those guys shots, I guess, or you kind of know what you have. Um, I, I think you've just got to do everything you can to focus on player development. If you're not going to be incredibly competitive, but I also think that playing more minutes to guys like Anthony Edwards, Jared Culver and, and Jared Vanderbilt are going to give you a better chance to win. That and that's, that's my that's point. Thank you. Like that's, that's my point. That's like, we're all the so same page. Hugs, virtual hugs. Like <laughs> it's just I don't think the team is going to tank by just force feeding Anthony Edwards thirty two minutes a game. Like I just don't like. I I think my biggest thing is that I was caught up in it and I'm so emotional. But like we had nine months off from the team and then we were so excited because they had Russell and Towns and health and stuff. They're the youngest team in the league. They have no chance to contend for anything right now because there's no. Like, like history of young, young teams winning. Youth just doesn't win. So the sooner Jack said an hour ago, like, does Gers look in the mirror? As soon as this whole fucking franchise looks in the mirror and realizes where they're at and doesn't worry about the pick they might give up because they don't have to worry about Wiggins shit anymore. I think they'll be better off, man. Like, just throw those kids out there and just let them try to win. 
I think Jack's been on it earlier than anyone. Like, let Jaden McDaniels play 10 minutes. He's done more good things, I think, than bad. Just like the Ed Davis days are have to be done. I just I would rather lose with Jaden and Nas playing the front court than whatever the hell Ed Davis is gonna do. Same with Wancho, same with Jake Lehman. Like it just embrace the youth, let those guys figure out what they're doing, and then I'm sorry, Jack, I just stole the ball. No, I especially concerning that the G League bubble hasn't started yet. You know, obviously when the G League bubble starts, Jaden McDaniels is gonna be gonna have the keys to the to the Iowa Wolves when they when they play down in down in Atlanta. That's that's gonna be ha- that's gonna happen, and that's gonna be great, I think, for Jaden McDaniels. If he improves, hell, if he improves half as much as Nas Reed did in the year that he spent in Iowa, I mean, he'll be Jayden starting. McDaniels could fucking start next year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I mean, I just think that you have to reach a certain point where you think, what do I have to lose, right? Yeah, yeah. And I wish Ryan Saunders would have looked down towards the end of his bench and been like. You know what? What do I what do I have to lose? What do I have to lose throwing Jaden McDaniels out there if Wancho's not gonna guard anybody? What the hell do I have to yeah, lose? Yeah, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Am I gonna get blown out? What's the worst that can happen? We're gonna get blown out. Got blown out <laughs> terribly with all these guys playing, so it's just like I don't know. But my, my my saving my saving grace, and then I'll shut up, I'll mute myself, is that look at the roster. I know yet Friday, January fifteenth was the darkest moment I've felt about the Timberwolves in a long time because it, I felt hopeless. Towns is, I think, 25. Beasley's just, Beasley just turned 24 in November. Russell's, I think, 24, 25. You guys just said it. Culver, Akogi, Vanderbilt, 21. Anthony Edwards can't drink for two years. Like, I think once we finally realize, even though we were so hyped, although Anthony Edwards clearly having some drinks, good rapper. But like, as soon as we realize that this team, forget the first round pick, they don't have like, at Benny Hanna. Yeah, they're just they're so young. <laughs> and as soon as we stop trying to be like, hey, can we can we fight for the nine seed in the playoff game? Who cares, man? Because it's like the it's like the thing we experienced with Tibbs. I don't give a damn that they won one playoff game and played five of them because it didn't mean shit. So I'm not gonna be super happy in twenty twenty one if they get to play in the play in game and then get their asses kicked. Just develop these young guys. Cause if you can't develop these young guys, they're gonna be the Seattle Timberwolves real quick. So just force feed them minutes. That's my plea. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, I'm going to wrap it up because I think we're just going to end up ranting for hours if, if we don't. And I've already taken up plenty of your time, both of you guys. Um, as usual, uh, I appreciate the shit out of you guys coming on and, and doing this with me. I know I haven't, I've been pretty inactive over the last week podcast-wise. I've kind of had a busy life going on and sometimes life gets in the way of podcasts unfortunately but um jack you can follow jack on twitter at jrborman13 jack i appreciate you dude and um yeah thanks for coming on and and talking shit with us man absolutely man it's always a great time always go always good to be with you guys uh and kyle you can follow kyle over uh at kyle tidy he also runs the the tanner supers account so I'm sure you've seen him there kind of just being extremely online. Um, but yeah, and Kyle. Be, and be on, be on the lookout too for uh, – it, it, we might be nearing nearing our recipe season from the from the can of soup. Is to, uh, <laughs> and uh, and listen, like if you've been listening this long, you already know this because you're a diehard. But I, this is I – I don't get paid to say this at all. But like these two guys that are much younger than me keep me going. And like this, this team – I've, I, people think I'm an apologist or optimist. This is the worst fucking franchise in the league. They do not deserve us. Okay. People know that inside and out. 
the t- the people that cover this team, Jake's film room stuff. Jack had two of the best articles ever in 2020 that I read, like ever on anything. Like this team has such like Tyler Metcalf and Michael Hagan. Like this team is this is the great. You guys are just fucking awesome. Like great writers. If you want to write for the Athletic one day, you will. Um, so just keep listening, keep reading our stuff because they'll make you smarter. And one day, I think maybe the team will be good and it's going to be awesome. It's not going to be on Monday because they're probably going to get their asses kicked, but it's going to be fun <laughs> to read these guys as shit when they don't have to try to dig out three good plays of a 40 point blowout. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much, Carl. They're obviously very kind words and, um, I, I concur that you should be reading Kane of Supers, and I think, you know, if you listen to this, you, you've probably read Kane of Supers. But, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening, and, and thank both of you guys for coming on, and um, I'm sure we'll get together and have another chat soon. So, yeah, peace, guys. Peace out. Peace.